Today is a great day for me because I get to spend time with my favorite fun and fabulous pharmacist and returning guest, Mary Sheehan. She is a registered pharmacist who has spent the last 12 years in community pharmacy. She has used this role as an avenue to identify and understand what each patient needs in order to establish their own health goals. Mary had studied and taught many forms of alternative medicine. And using techniques she has developed over the last 25 years, she inspires people to change their behaviors so they get the most out of whatever kind of medicine they are using. Part pharmacist and part medicine woman, Mary believes that healing is equal parts individual and practitioner. It's a relationship and a process that you do together. Mary graduated summa cum laude from Duquesne University's Milan School of Pharmacy 29 years ago, and she won the 2019 Outstanding Customer Service Award at Giant Eagle Pharmacies. She is part of Northeast Ohio Medical University's ancillary faculty and has hosted and produced a show for cable television called Good Medicine. She appeared on local Channel 3's Can You Relate? with Kathy Dawson and Golden Opportunities as a contributing health expert. She lives in Stowe, Ohio with her husband, Michael. She has three kids who, with her help, have found their way to adulthood on their own paths to health and healing. And she is going to be a contributor to my upcoming Charity Patient Safety Anthology, a book titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. And I so appreciate her candid and very real personality, and I know you will too. So welcome back to the show, Mary. Thank you, Pat. That was so lovely. Thank you. Oh, you're so lovely. So how could it not be lovely? <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> All right, Mary, from the day I've known you, you have been a pharmacist who has heart, humor, and honesty. And that was the first thing that attracted me to you years ago when you came to the radio station to share an interview on my show. And meantime, I've been to many pharmacies, and I have to say, I've only spoken to maybe two or three pharmacists during my mom's decade-long healthcare debacle because they seldom seem to peer out from behind the racks of pills. But I can say with certainty that those that I did have occasion to question or talk to did not exude heart or humor, was very clinical and rushed. And it almost feels like although they got into the business to help people, they now avoid them. And I know you have thoughts on this, so... Please share. It's very astute, your observation that they didn't, we didn't get into this business to ignore the people and hide out amongst the pill bottles, but that's what's happened, and it's a system problem, and I know you've spoken about system problems in other areas of healthcare. It's the same with us. They want us to do more with less help. It becomes overwhelming that a pharmacist is often in fight or flight, which is the worst place you can be in that lizard part of your brain when you're trying to be in a heartfelt place or even a cognitive thinking place, right? And it's an unfortunate side effect of the system that we in the system, unfortunately, are creating more patients in, in us. I am becoming a patient slowly day by day as um, the work just gets harder and harder. So I have done many things to rise above that, I guess, or work around it to still talk to the patients and meet the patients where they need me to be, which is in, in a heart space. But it's not easy because the, the, the system is the problem. 
Now, see, you say that, but I think I never really viewed a pharmacist as being a burnout or pharmacy as being a burnout profession. Wow. But yeah, that's not something that I picked up on. I thought, well, that might be a more relaxing job because you're you're not going from patient to patient and all these people aren't rushing at you. You're not running around. You're in one spot. It's your home base. Oh yeah. My. Tell me more about that. <laughs> Okay, well, my day. I'm just picturing myself as I as I hear you say this. So let's let's picture a typical day. It was a recent day. I've got maybe 400 to 450 prescriptions to fill because everyone's sick right now. So there's a lot of antibiotics coming my way. I've got somebody at the drive-through. I've got three phones ringing. I've got two patients asking me for help. One at the drop-off and one at the will call at the cash register. I don't have enough technicians to to handle all of it. So I want to be in all places at all times. And they, uh, the court, you know, the company has metrics I need to meet. I need to make so many flu shots and I need to do other clinical activities that are required by the insurance company. So all those metrics have met and perhaps my boss is just in saying I'm not meeting the metrics and what am I going to do about it? So it is kind of a constant juggling of many different aspects of the job while trying to do my best. And I probably have someone on hold too that needs me to do a transfer of a prescription. That's typical. Most pharmacists are experiencing that level in the community of workload, mm -hmm. that amount of workload. Wow. It's a lot. Yes, as you say that, I can imagine and see how it would be. I guess it never occurred to me, but I'm going to look at my pharmacist a little differently now. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. <laughs> so you, though, however, you as an individual, not as a uh, demographic of pharmacists, yeah. you approach clients and patients to dispense more than pills. Did you consciously decide to approach the profession in that way, or did something happen where you said, oh, my... I need to look at this differently. I came from a clinical background before I worked in the community. So I've always worked in hospitals. And then when I went into the community, I thought, I'm, I'm going to practice that way. And I had something in mind about how I was going to take care of people. But truly, it wasn't until I became a patient in the system after I was in a, a bad car accident. It wasn't until I became a patient, went through the process as a patient, that I began to see the patient with a whole, like new eyes, and then built something from there. It really couldn't have been built had I not had that horrible thing happen, lost my body, lost my mind, went through that level of suffering. It made me such a better pharmacist and a happier pharmacist. And I don't suggest that as a strategy for people, but there is lots to be learned from being hit by a truck mm -hmm. when it comes to patient care. And you literally were hit by a truck. You're not oh, just... I was literally you, hit yeah, by a truck. You, it's not a metaphor. Mm -hmm. It's not one of those, you know, Oprah metaphors where, you know, the universe is talking to you. And I mean, maybe the universe was talking to me, but there was a literal truck. <laughs> yes. Interesting. I just had a conversation earlier today with a gal who's in the book who said pretty much the same kind of thing is that she became a much better nurse once her dad faced a hospital stay and really saw and felt what it was like to be on the other end. So Yes, uh, you feel it in a, mm -hmm. in a big way. You mm -hmm. feel the fear. You feel the terror. You feel the uncertainty. You feel the the lack of confidence. Am I ever going to be okay again? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? And although I don't carry that with me every day and that I'm like still feeling it so 
so present. It's always, always, always there, which is so great. So when, so me having had that in my being, that level of suffering, when another suffering soul comes before me, it's like that's activated, like automatically. It's like a weird little communication. And they know just by looking at me, they know I know. And we share a lovely little moment that has nothing to do with, oh, gee, did she lecture me on or counsel me on side effects or how I should take it? But it's two real human beings that are there in the presence of each other, one to get better and the other to help. Mm-hmm. Oh, how beautiful and simple. Yes, it's very simple, but not easy. It's not easy to be present. You know, we're like I said, we're in our lizard brain a lot. But when you can be present, and I had to train myself to be present. I had to be present. When you're hit by a truck and you're on the couch and you've got nothing but the moment, you mm-hmm. learn how to stay in that moment. You learn how to treasure that moment. It is absolutely a training. It's an ongoing training. And I have that to fall back on. So when I feel myself going to lizard brain, which is where we go when we're in a trauma, like I was in a truck, had to retrain my brain how to be in the world. Well, guess what? That training followed over, spilled over into the pharmacy. So when I find myself going into my lizard brain, the fight or flight or flee, I remember my training. I use the tools. I can get back to present. And when you are truly present with someone, then you can listen truly and you can be in that in that heart space. And that's really where all of it comes from, from being present. If you're in fight or flight, you're not listening. You're thinking, how am I going to get away from this person? How can I just spill out what I need to spill out and get on with my day? If you're in judgment, you know, there's a lot of judgment that that goes on in healthcare because we are in this space where, why are they bothering me? Why don't they know this? When you're in that place in your mind, you can't really be there for somebody so really, when you talk about those things, heart, humor, and honesty, it, it, to me, it has to begin with the heart, being present, being in that moment, as opposed to, say, trying to be honest or trying to be funny. You don't really have to try to be anything if you're just you mm-hmm. in the moment in front of that other person. Wow. So beautiful. And you're touching another person emotionally and spiritually on on just a human level. Let's take it past that and look at Mm -hmm. some real physical outcomes. What kind of patient outcomes can be improved when pharmacists, well, all healthcare providers really, but today, especially pharmacists in particular, when they take the time to dispense a little extra time or a friendly or a kind word, what outcomes can be improved? If you're talking about disease state outcomes, and I guess we'd have to be honest and say, well, then we studied it, right? We gave 100 people Prozac and didn't make eye contact and didn't ask them a question and didn't stand there loving them. And, and we gave another 100 people Prozac and we were present. And, you know, the, you know, the system's not going to study things like that. So I've watched it, just watching how many people come back to me year after year for flu shots? Do they come back to me and say, but there's just something about the shot when I get it from you? Because like I say, I give a flu shot and then I also give some good vibes. Um, do they wait patiently for me when I can't speak to them? Yes, they do. Do they call ahead for their prescriptions? Yes, they do. I have numbers that show that. Will they get on the phone with me when I need to do their medication as required by their insurance company? Yes, they will. So I'm looking at it more insofar as, do they continue to shop with me? Do they continue to pick up their prescriptions for me? Do they ask my advice? Am I selling OTC medications? Things like that. I mean, we could argue that 
if my influence helps them find value in them and they find value in themselves, therefore, if I treat them as a person with value, anybody who really looks at themselves as somebody who has value would be good to themselves. They would take their prescriptions. They would change their diet. They would go for a walk. So I think, I don't think, I know I'm contributing to that. I know I'm contributing to what's really ailing people, which is they don't see value in themselves. That's why they don't take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Have we studied it? No. It'd be fun if we did. But I, I can say to you that I think I'm making a difference and I'm making an impact. Absolutely. That reminds me of a story you told me once about where the problem wasn't Prozac, where some woman came in and handed you a script for an antidepressant. Do you remember that story? Oh, there's so many like that. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's it's not about uh, the pill, it's about the person. Yeah, and yeah. you took the time. She was taking three antidepressants and you stopped and asked what was really going on and, and mm -hmm. her boyfriend was there and he said that uh, she had just lost her job and you're like, yeah. well, the antidepressant is not going to fix grieving. You're allowed to do that. Right. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. that and, and, and you know what's really hard? Even since then, they have changed grief to a disease. Yes, yes, So yes. now I can't even say that anymore <laughs> because we've decided, we, the system, have decided grief is a disease. I argue grief is not a disease. It's a natural human condition. We should be allowed to experience it. But the uh, powers that be would definitely argue with me because okay. uh, we've put it in our books, right? Once we have a diagnosis code. <laughs> it's a disease. <laughs> oh, that's another show for another time. Right? Oh, isn't it though? <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. But uh, I mean, there is something though about acknowledging people's suffering. So what did I really do there? I acknowledged her suffering. And and she's probably beating herself up. Okay, so not only did I lose my job, now I get a disease. Mm -hmm. Oh, now I get a disease and three pills. Now I've got the stigma, I've got something wrong with me. Uh, that is not helping people yep. to have them, you know, have grapple with, I'm a flawed human being. No, you're not. You're a human being that is suffering as a human being should when faced with a loss. Right, right. Thank you for being real. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk on another topic, another chapter in this book, Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare. I talked with a gal who talks about medication reconciliation, and the author shared a story about her 88-year-old mother who was prescribed the anticholinergic drug Flexerol. Mm -hmm. And when her neurologist found out, he told her, under no circumstances are you to take this drug, so she didn't. However, it remained in her chart, and a subsequent visit to the emergency room had her back on this drug three times a day, which caused extreme hallucinations, hospital admission, three different hospital-acquired infections, and death shortly thereafter. So the question is, didn't any of the pharmacists who filled the prescriptions stop to question why this drug was being prescribed to an almost 90-year-old woman? So do pharmacists question the safety of what's being prescribed to perhaps consult with the doctor's office to say, hey, before I send Mrs. So-and-so off with this drug, are you sure about this? Because here's what I know. Yes. Another point, do we look at them? Yes. And then we need to keep re-looking, right? That's kind of what we're saying, how this kind of fell through the cracks and it was again and again and again. Well, some states, in fact, when anybody started on anything new, the law in that state is that that patient must be counseled by the pharmacist that first fills it. So when I noticed that that was happening in other states, I just started to do it. There's nothing that no harm can come from that, right? 
So, and it's, and, and I do it with everything. So if there's a new medication, someone's never been on it. Say you're flexural lady. She's never been on this before. She's 90. I'm like, oh boy, I'm definitely going to have a conversation. So that gets flagged. This drug cannot, according to the Giant Eagle safety system, cannot be sold out unless the pharmacist comes over and has a conversation. So even though I may not be flagged by anybody, say it's not a drug interaction that I'm being flagged from the computer, or any of the drug or maybe a cost thing that the insurance company is flagging me, that's a flag that I put up for myself because it's a new medication for someone over the age of 60, and I want to have a little conversation. I want to assess the situation. Is this necessary? What, what are we doing with this? What, what did your doctor say? And then only from there would I determine, you know, what the next steps are going to be. I, I hate to, you know, jump in without having spoken to the patient. Right. But at the end of the day, ultimately, I'm answering to that patient each and every time. That's who I'm answering to at the end of the day. So I have to ask myself, did I do my best for that patient? But not for my company, not for my coworkers, not for me. I'm, I'm answering to that patient. And so when we remember that and we, we stay present and remember why we put on that white lab coat every day, when we do that, it becomes quite easy. It's just when we get just pulled into all this other stuff that we forget, why am I here? Thank you. Thank you, Ayad. I appreciate that. So in beginning to wrap up, you said, I don't know if this was on your website or during our interview, you said, our patients and customers are not walking collections of organ systems covered in skin. They are people with thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams. They are scared and lonely. They have their own soul paths in life. And as a pharmacist, what a gift. You have an opportunity to connect into their soul paths, and you mentioned that before. So if you were speaking or training a group of pharmacists, which I know you've done in the past, what would you suggest as it pertains to heart, humor, honesty, whatever, what, what would you suggest to them to improve and to maybe reach out and touch the folks at their soul path? They have to start with themselves because they're so stressed out at work and the system is, is what it is. We have to start training these pharmacists how to stay out of their limbic system, how to stay out of fight or flight, how to stay present, how to do good self-care. Ironically, as I said in the beginning, we're, we're becoming patients due to the, how hard the work is and how pulled in a million different directions we are. As we're becoming patients, then we need to start taking care of ourselves. And when you do that, then you have it to give. We cannot continue to ask our healthcare providers to give something they, they don't have to give. So really kind of start with themselves. Some people have to take a hard look at themselves and how they're living their lives and what's important. And we need to peel it back and get back to that because that's really the only place that you can really start from. If I were to go into 20 pharmacists that are stressed out, burned out, in trouble with their bosses for not meeting their metrics, really tired from 12-hour shifts, tech call-offs, and I say do more, I've lost them. So we have to peel it back. I have to approach them empathetically saying, I, I feel you, I know where you are. Let's go to you and what it's going to take to get you back to your heart place where you feel good and happy. I'm telling you what, nobody feels good running around in fight or flight all day. Mm -hmm. It does not feel good. And so we can't ask a bunch of people that are like that to give more. We have to start with them where we can, where we each have control over ourselves to fix ourselves, to get back to taking really good care of ourselves, and then we'll have it to give, and then we feel good, and it becomes a virtuous cycle. Mm -hmm. 
And then that gets passed on to the customer patient. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like the long circuitous route, but it really is the only way. I know it because I've seen pharmacists in really bad places, mind, body, and spirit, who don't have it to give. And it's not fair to ask somebody to give something that they don't have. So how can we get them back to good and then they can give? Oh, this is why I so appreciate you. Ah. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Mary. Is there anything then, as we start to wrap up, anything we missed that you wanted to talk about today? Um, I think, gosh, you're so good at leading and going so <laughs> gracefully to the next topic. I think we hit on everything that I intended to hit on. Excellent, excellent. Well, yours just so fun and easy to talk to. As I said, we can do a couple well, more you. couple more shows on this. So where can yeah. folks go to learn more about you or contact you? Um, either pick up the phone and call me at 330-592-5793. Yes, I believe in phone calls. And or my email address is very easy. It's Mary, M-A-R-Y-S, Sheehan, S-H-E-E-H-A-N, at Gmail. Alrighty, my friend, I so appreciate having this conversation with you. And I know with you leading the pharmacist, we're going to see some great improvements. So thank you so, so very much for joining us today. Thank you, Pat. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.